0: Racism that they are still denying or being emotional about, it's not about your feelings, it's about our lives.
1: On the count of three, one, two. Hi, I'm Ramneek Johal. And I'm Carol Eugene Park. This is Decomplicated. What's up, Ramneek Johal? I feel like I say your name wrong.
2: Uh, you say it Fine. <laughs> How are you doing, Remnick Joe Hall? I'm doing well, Carol Eugene Park. I am. Oh. I don't like that. Then stop calling me by my full name, okay? But I like that. Anyways, what are we talking about today?
1: Uh, We're talking about hate in Alberta. Specifically about uh, the rising racism and hate crimes and white supremacy groups and all that fun and dandy stuff that we all love to talk about and remember, um, despite our love for this illusion that Canada is a beautiful, multicultural, non-racist place. So there were, you know, I mean, one of the things that, Made us want to do this is because there there were some Nazi flags uh, being flown around, and that was quite troubling. I don't know about you, but I don't have Nazi flags just chilling in my room. I feel like that's not something that you would just normally have in one's home, but there were two property owners in Alberta who decided that they would just flounce it around in the same week. And uh, the friends of Simon Weisenthal. Uh, Center for Holocaust Studies. They filed a criminal complaint with the RCMP. We decided, let's just dive in. Let's talk about why you should not fly Nazi flags and what that really says about the microcosm of Alberta as a place where there is a lot of kind of deep-rooted racism, a cultural positioning of self-victimization, and such and such. But why am I pretending like I know what I'm talking about when I, in fact, was not there for the interview that was conducted. So Ramnik,
2: take us back. So like Carol said, the window to this conversation started because there were two incidents in Alberta, not too far away from each other, um, just days after one another, uh, where Nazi flags were flown by two different property owners. And then that got us thinking about the ways that there is a large number of far-right extremist groups in Alberta. When we looked at an episode in season one about white supremacy in Canada and how it's a rising threat, um, there's a number of right-wing groups that originate in Alberta that have large chapters in Alberta, including Yellow Vest and the Three Percenters. There's often a lot of anti-Semitic imagery that's seen at a lot of rallies. There's anti-mask rallies. And so there's a lot of violent hate crimes against people of color in Alberta. But again, this isn't different from the rest of the country. So we aren't saying that, you know, the, viol- the violence in Alberta is unique um, because this is seen in different ways across the country, but we wanted to unpack this a little bit deeper and understand what makes this climate in Alberta so different and what the lived experiences of people in this province actually are. Uh, we spoke to Adora Nofor, who is the who is a comedian and the president of Black Lives Matter YYC in Calgary about her experiences both as a black wom- woman in, in Calgary, um, in Alberta and just about the climate more broadly in Alberta because like we mentioned this started with Nazi flags being flown. This isn't the first time it sadly won't be the last time but even the police's response to this incident uh, was that the RCMP said that they were going to look into whether or not hate was a factor in flying these flags. And I think that attitude in and of itself, the fact that we have to guess or investigate whether or not somebody is flying a Nazi flag in a hateful way, the fact that we have to pretend that that's something that requires us to, to think too hard about says a lot. And so we talked about that with Adora and she gave us a lot of her experiences and helped us contextualize what that's like. And when Ramnik says we,
1: I was not there. So in this interview that we're about to play or not about to play in this interview that we will be playing for you to listen to, I have also not listened to it. So I'm really excited, but I was busy doing my own thing and so our wonderful intern grace jenkins who's been with us for now six weeks and she this is her this is her baby this is her child this is something that she's been taking on for since the beginning of her time with us Remnik is slapping her head because i'm speaking too much but grace chased uh, dora and uh, this is kind of the interview that came out of that before we actually roll the clip we're going to introduce you to grace and ask her a few questions because it's always nice to have context right? It's nice to have context. Okay. Anyway. All right. Hi, Grace. Hi. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. How does it feel to be on the interviewing, no, interviewee side of the pod? Um,
2: I mean, definitely a bit wild. <laughs> Why don't we start by talking a little bit about the research that you did? So for this episode, you know, it, it all started with um, a few unfortunate Instances of racism in Alberta, but through your research, you found that this isn't just a small one-off situation. So, I'd love to ask what what did you find when you did your research? Why is why Alberta? Why are we talking about Alberta today?
3: In in my research, I found that Alberta has kind of been having issues with racism and the alt right for a while now, and it's only escalated since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, like there was in twenty nineteen the the Yellow Vest Movement, and those protests attracted anti-immigrant members of far-right hate groups. And that pattern repeats itself with protests for anti-maskers, where right-wing alt-right hate groups show up to non-related protests. And um, the theory is that uh, economic insecurity contributes to this because... When people are feeling um, insecure, they're worried about jobs, they look for scapegoats. And often the scapegoats are racialized people and immigrants. And currently about 9% of Im- Albertans are unemployed. And that spiked to 15% during May of 2020 when the pandemic was like really hitting hard. And because Alberta's economy is so heavily reliant on oil, it makes the province prone to like economic uh, volatility and combined with the general pandemic anxieties that I think we all experienced and as well as isolation, it created widespread discontent that makes it makes favorable conditions for far right groups to grow.
1: Mm, I mean, that makes sense a lot to me. That makes sense. That was that English. I'm curious, Grace, were there any things that you learned that were surprising to you
3: or that you were like, wait a minute, What Uh, One thing that kind of shocked me was that in February, uh, the promotional posters for an anti-lockdown demonstration used images from um, the 2017 uh, white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, North Carolina, which kind of shocked me, both because it's a white supremacist rally and also it it happened in Charlottesville, North Carolina, um, which is very much... You might know, not in Canada. Also, one of one of the people who was flying the Nazi flags was flying a Confederate flag next to it, which I thought I thought was quite surprising because, again, Confederacy wasn't exactly in Canada, and also it's just very a very racist flag to fly. There's no reason beyond racism to fly a Confederate flag, and it shocks me that there's still people flying Confederate flags in the United States. Where there's the extremely flimsy and non-justifiable, oh, it's our heritage excuse, but up here in Canada, it's like there's absolutely no reason whatsoever to be flying that racist flag. Yeah, it's kind of like when people are like, Trump supporters here, and they
2: have Trump rallies, and you're like, huh? And I'm also curious, has there been... As a result of, obviously, like you said, these Confederate flags are, are being flown. The Nazi flags are being flown. But it's not just symbols, right? There's there's actual actions. So have you kind of, or in your research, did you come across anything related to, you know, actual arise in, in hate crimes or violence
3: in, in Alberta during during this time? Um, yeah, there's been... Um a rise in um, racism and attacks against Asian Canadians. And there was a recent wave of attacks against Muslim women in Alberta. And that kind of uh, shows how hostile the climate has become. Yeah, I was reading actually based on
2: your research, I actually didn't know this, that in March of 2021, uh, there were five Somali Canadian women who were wearing hijabs who were attacked in Edmonton. And that again was shocking to me, but that's why it's like we're always so amazed when when we hear stories like this, but it's like Canada is a very large country. And so this is happening on the small scale across the country. And it's to the point where it doesn't always make national headlines like it should or like it needs to. But that's horrifying to me. And then when you juxtapose that or when you put that on the backdrop of what's happened this past week, it's like, no, this isn't just an Alberta thing. This is a Canada thing. And it's like, we cannot continue to just be like, oh, these things happen or this is just a function of the way things are, it's horrifying. It's it's absolutely horrifying.
3: Absolutely, yeah. It's these are all like from 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 these attacks to the flying of the Nazi flags. These are all <coughs> symptoms of a larger problem, and that really needs to be addressed. And that's kind. I guess that's kind of why um, it's so important to condemn it when people decide to perpetuate hate by flying those type of flags. Like, it's not just, it's not just a flag. Like, this, 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 one of these guys compared flying the uh, Nazi flag to flying, like, a Jolly Roger pirate flag, like the Skull and Crossbones. And it's just, it's not comparable at all because all, it just perpetuates hate and violence. And if this type of stuff isn't condemned, then we're just going to see more and more racism and violence against people. Facts, no printer.
2: Carol, if you say facts, no printer, one more time I'm going... (laughs) To lose my mind. Facts,
1: no <laughs> printer. Okay. Thank you for that lovely intro, Grace.
2: Roll the clip. To get started, why don't we just get you to introduce yourself, tell us who you are and what you do. My name is
0: Adora Walfour. I'm a comedian. So sometimes I'm funny. Uh I'm also an activist. My title that people like me to say is President Black Lives Matter YYC. So that means that I go out into the world very often and I say things that people don't like. I thought I was doing great stuff. Seems like not everybody thinks that. And I'm okay with it.
3: Can you tell us a bit about your activism and comedy and how you use it to respond to... The racism you face in Alberta. So anybody
0: who knows my comedy knows that basically I start out with my name is Adora Walfour and I'm born, raised and still living the racism dream in Calgary. And I started saying that in comedy because I was facing racism in comedy. I was part of a comedy family. And there were a few of us that were black and the black people started falling off like they weren't coming to comedy anymore. They were moving outside of comedy. So that that was me being like, hmm, what's happening here? And I'll be honest, I have always used jokes to save myself. It was just innate. It was just easier to diffuse tension when people are laughing. So, so that's how it really began. Uh, and so I was an, I'm an accidental activist. I have always been pushing back. I never thought I was rebellious because I thought, oh, I'm, I'm doing the good things. Like people want you to do the good things. Apparently not. Apparently there's another kind of rebellion. So really comedy is a way for me to feel comfortable while advocating for myself and people around me. Uh, Because very often, your experience, people don't necessarily know or understand. So comedy is my way of trying to get some people to understand uh, and trying to educate people through some very difficult topics.
2: And so can you tell us a little bit about your work with Black Lives Matter Calgary? I have
0: been doing advocacy around centering Blackness for... a a long time and I didn't even really know I was doing so because it began with my family. It began with myself. And what we do at Black Lives Matter is we try and support Black people in whatever their struggle is. So sometimes it's very difficult, um, specifically because we don't have any government funding. We're a baby. We're in the infancy of Black Lives Matter YYC. So we're trying to figure out how to help people in Calgary the most. (laughs) That's difficult because a lot of people in Calgary don't want to add more discomfort to their lives. So Black, Indigenous, uh, and other people of color uh, are not safe to say, like, this is our problem. This is what's going on. We just recently uh, saw a Muslim family um, murdered allegedly by um, a young man in london ontario and they're they're just existing and black lives matter uh, yYc is there to discuss with people who are in similar situations um, if it's food that people need if it's uh, clothing if, if you need to be referred to another organization because we can't do it a lot of the advocacy that does need to happen with somebody who's bold enough to say the things not tiptoe around them is not happening with me so a lot of people will believe that nothing is happening as fast as it should it's only going as fast as people are pushing it and i
2: i'm big and i'm happy to push real hard can you tell us a little about what are the things that you think that are being tiptoed around um, here at Decomplicated. We don't believe in tiptoeing around anything. We like, we believe in calling a spade a spade. So um, yeah. What are some things that you think uh, are being tiptoed around?
0: Uh, <laughs> defunding the police is definitely being tiptoed around uh, the way that the Calgary police service has decided to create their committee, I believe is uh, fund founded in anti-Blackness or oppression or power dynamics, uh, traditional means of HR is <laughs> racist, oppressive. Uh, and to to my knowledge, that's what they use. Uh, you cannot bring white people to fix racism that they are still denying or being emotional about it's not about your feelings it's about our lives we're dying we can't exist um on any level the same way that white people uh are existing which to say you know whiteness is a concept it's I hate racism, not white people. I always have to say that here in Calgary, what we're doing is it's very conservative. You know, we're basically in the Bible belt and a lot of people want to talk about the right way to do things. Well, the right way to stop oppression is to stop it, not to talk about it, not to be worried about people's feelings. Uh, So that's, that's number one. Number two, politics, you know, we're having a municipal election. This year, there's a lot of racism that's going around. And in Calgary, it's really covert. And I'm sure it's more covert in some other places in Canada. But in Calgary, people are expecting to hear the N-word. You're not going to. You're going to hear that that person doesn't have experience. That person is too young. But white people are all those things and get into office. We are losing a huge, huge, huge advocate for BIPOC uh, and marginalized groups in Calgary, with um nenshi not running again that's huge i don't personally know the reasons but i know that racism is a factor and that's truly unfortunate that our city continues uh to use this Uh, calgary is the only city in north america where the police said that they will defund themselves and all the police did was take the money that they said they were defunding with and reallocate it to other organizations who are pro-police ridiculous absolutely ridiculous don't let me start with oil and gas.
3: Yeah, you addressed us a little about Calgary, but from your perspective, if you feel comfortable, can you tell us a bit about the nature of the climate in Alberta in regards to race and racism? Ooh, Alberta is the New
0: South. I've been saying that for a little bit. Alberta does not want to let go of its comfort and the power dynamics that have always ruled here. You know, we, there's a town called Amber Valley. <laughs> Basically, no longer exists, and it was all black people. And you know, if Alberta's going to say that they were doing well in the race conversation, Amber Valley should be thriving because black people can thrive. Um, Indigenous folks here, unfortunately, they are continue to be treated like trash. It took months to get a school name for anyone to even pretend that they wanted to change the school name, uh, Langevin. The pressure, the pressure, the pressure, the pressure. We know what that person has done. We know that it's bad. Why do you want to continue to put people on this pedestal? Unfortunately, the UCP is in power and left and right, they are showing uh, that privilege is the thing that They are basing all of their decisions on. Uh, It's only economy. Humanity is never first. It's not even thought of. But economy means nothing if you don't have people. You don't have people to help the economy. Quite frankly, oil and gas would be nowhere without bipoc folks.
2: And and like you said, I think uh, you mentioned that like in Calgary, it's it's covert. But I think in in the rest of the province of Alberta, it's it's blatant, almost with like this like lack of fear of consequences, I guess. And white supremacy is alive and well in this country. And and this has been the reality of racialized people for some time. But um, in Alberta, we often see, you know, uh, Nazi flags being flown in, in multiple towns a few weeks ago, or um, all these rallies, the yellow vesters. Um, do you think that Alberta is unique for this type of hate? Or what, what is it that makes this So different in Alberta that um, it's like the same beast, just with a different face. It feels like
0: (laughs) when I say that it's covert in Alberta, I mean that they are I mean that um, white terrorists are not using the N word. Uh, They choose to use dog whistles, which doesn't make it any better. So instead of, you know, coming out and saying the N-word to me, they're going to be like, you're yelling and you're violent. That's what I mean when I say covert there are no consequences so what what would they be afraid of (laughs) here's there's there's zero consequences sometimes they get a ticket it's never for a hate crime It's never for being you know racist or oppressive so of course i mean they're empowered to do so nothing is happening to you that's a sign that that's okay and this is why marginalized folks black indigenous people of color uh, disabled people non-neurotypical people sex workers and the list continues are consistently saying we're not okay because we are being punished for existing. Part of that is the barriers that are created. So no, this is not unique to Alberta. It just so happens that Alberta has um, s- smaller towns, more space in between, less policing on these things and less public pressure. We just don't have the numbers of people pushing back. And it's because nothing is happening when people are faced with trauma and racial trauma is huge across Canada, but especially in places where you don't have support around it. Alberta is only unique because economically we do so well. That's quite frankly, the unique part Uh, and the people who are surviving uh, oppression are not as um, it's powerful. We don't have as many opportunities. It's very difficult to come together and say, we're going to fix this because there's so many things to fix for one person amongst all of these oppressions. So what I would say about Alberta is really, they're digging a hole for themselves because the world is seeing them oppress people, even though they say they're not, you know, macroaggressions, you know, systematic racism, is all over the place here and people keep talking about, well, this policy, you're not applying the policy.
3: A couple weeks ago, there was a man in Alberta who was flying both a Confederate flag and a Nazi flag. And he told a reporter that flying those flags is no different than flying a Jolly Roger pirate flag, which is ridiculous. And the RCMP is apparently investigating whether hate was a factor in the decision to fly those flags which is obvious. Um, So uh, what are your thoughts on this? It's funny that
0: you're asking me that because this morning on Facebook, I posted basically like, when are they going to charge for hate crimes? There are four people who are dead um, and one person who is injured. We don't know what end. And they are all Muslim. They were all existing. We know that it was premeditated. We know that hate was a factor but where is the hate crime charge it's not there they didn't even the media didn't even start talking about it until the day after i found out on sunday through facebook so to me i think it's ridiculous that they're saying they're investigating it uh when when are they investigating black people who say white trash we don't get an investigation they shoot first they take us down first quite frankly i was protesting doing zero nothing Like standing as far as away from the anti-maskers as possible in our counter protest, and the police surrounded me, allowed all those people to come at me with their cameras and their moistly and their slurs. Quite frankly, Uh, and nothing happened to those people, but I was terrorized. In my personal opinion, Uh, the police are founded in anti-blackness. Their foundation is uh, to catch enslaved people. So, of course, they're going to investigate to figure out a way to make it appropriate for this person to do so. The police are trained to make white people and privileged people feel comfortable and everybody else, they are trained to figure out how to protect whiteness and villainize or criminalize anything else there, I nobody needed an investigation we know what those flags mean the most that we sh- it should investigate is to ask that person do you know what these flags mean if the answer is no you let them know and if they continue to fly charge if if they didn't know and they've been educated they should take it down to say that these flies are I don't even know what that jolly whatever pirate thing is to be honest that means something i don't know what that other flag means but i know that the confederate flag means that a whole lot of people fought to make sure that i didn't get my whole life because they didn't believe i was human and i am
2: i'm a fucking delight like obviously like you said the police response is very inadequate when when there's any type of hate motivated attack or hate motivated incident or even just sentiments of of hate in our communities but from the government standpoint both provincially and federally what do you think what more could they be doing because i think we often have conversations about more needs to be done and we lay out tangible actions and they still don't do anything so what more do you think could be done uh, for them to ad- meaningfully uh, begin to address these very real threats in all of these communities Well, oh, i
0: think that the government needs to actively ensure that women and marginalized groups marginalized genders Uh, Anybody who is facing oppression is in power. (laughs) Number one, we all the millions of dollars that they are sending to oil and gas or straight to getting black people, indigenous people, deaf people, blind people non-neurotypical people, disabled people, into power. Because those are the places that we are seeing failures. We're seeing failures around that everywhere. So for me, I feel like, okay, if white men have been leading forever, I say this at (laughs) Women's March, white men have been leading forever and they're doing very well. That tells me that they're doing things for white men. Everyone isn't doing well. So if you want other people to do well, allow other people access to opportunity and power to use it in a positive way to change our communities. You know, when we talk about defund the police or when I talk about defund the police, I very often say, you know, the money needs to go into communities and communities need to decide. And when I'm saying that, I mean communities outside of whiteness. So if you're going to give money to harm reduction, harm reduction led by people who have experienced addiction and then people who don't have power in that experience. So those are the people who need the money to put it in the right places. Allow them to make mistakes. White men make mistakes every day, every second. There's another one, there's a mistake. Somebody didn't dot an I, didn't cross a T, and we all made it. So allow black people, black women, black disabled sex workers, let them make decisions because that's so important. Those communities will start doing better the second you take your hands off and allow them to figure out what is best for them. And this part of making mistakes what people don't understand is it's not because people want to make mistakes. It's because we have to learn what works to decolonize and to dismantle white supremacy. We, we don't know what that is quite yet. We're still working on it because we've had generations and um, hundreds of years. Of white supremacy. So figuring out what is going to take it down because white folks aren't doing a good job of it. We are going to make some mistakes in trying to figure that out. Why I don't understand why we're not allowed to do so. I do understand. <laughs> I know that we are not allowed to do so because people don't want the change. People in power don't want the change. Um, but when people are in power are making mistakes, the whole world is giving them all the grace uh, because Often they're saying it's difficult, it's difficult, it's difficult. Well, you've been in power for 100 years uh, and still saying it's difficult. Give us a chance for some of that difficulty. Thank you.
3: Is there anything else that you feel like it would be important to say about this? I think it's really important that
0: um, people understand that While we're trying to dismantle oppression, we are tired of whiteness. And what that means is whiteness as an ideology, whiteness as a theory, whiteness as a power dynamic, not a person who is Irish or Russian or German or, you know, French or whatever European something they are. Because that's a culture that is rooted in somebody's personal needs and what we need to survive. Whiteness, we don't need to survive whiteness is greed whiteness is a power dynamic used to oppress people solely that's its only use that's the only reason to have whiteness and everything rooted in oppression is anti-blackness so i keep talking about centering blackness centering how people are naturally connected to the earth naturally connected to one another and outside of colonization outside of creating order i'm tired of seeing order over people's feelings, needs um, and growth. So for me, what really needs to change is the hierarchy. I need people to really stop trying to get to the top and to understand that once you get your needs met, you can thrive, that is the top. Life is the gift. Let's create lives where people are thriving. Like you're only on a yacht for as long as you're on the yacht, but you're alive. And we should be relishing in it. We should be giving people opportunities to feel alive.
1: What the fork? I'm just sounding more like Dak Shepard every day. What the fork is up, Ramnik? What the fork? What are we talking about today? What's got you grinding? Your teeth, your
2: TMJ activated. <laughs> I'm not even going to waste any time. I'm just going to get right into it because I'm I'm fired up. I'm fired Give up. Give me the fire, baby. The National Post is known for publishing flaming hot garbage very, very often. And they decided to live up to the reputation on Wednesday. Um, they published a piece by a journalist named Rupa Sabramanya, called No Jigmeeth, Canada is Not a Racist Country. It's one of the most tolerant places on earth. This piece was published days after a Muslim family was killed for being Muslim in London, Ontario. So this is not the first piece that the National Post has published about the fact that Canada is not racist. It surely will not be the last. But what bothers me is that they always choose to publish things about anti-white racism or how Canada is not racist when there is a conversation, a national conversation about race and racism. We are trying to have an honest conversation as a nation to actually address this so we can stop it And then they come out with their hot takes that nobody asked for. But what really pissed me off, what really pissed me off, and I I can expect this from the Old white men that they continue to give a platform to who've already had a platform to talk about how Canada's not racist because they don't experience racism. But this time, what they did was give a platform to a woman of color to spew the same BS that they usually spew. Now, this to me is even more harmful because there's nothing more. There's nothing more that racist people love than getting a person of color to do their dirty work and talk for them. And so this just really upset me because it's not just something in poor taste to publish this days after an entire family was murdered. It's harmful because this upholds These values that are held by racists and, quite frankly, people who are just complacent. Point blank, period. And I forgot to add one more thing, actually, that I saw on social media yesterday that made me sick to my stomach and epitomizes why we can't say that this country is tolerant and not racist. Again, days after the London attack. So somebody on Twitter, at SabrinaGS, tweeted a video out where a man actually joked about another Muslim family who was going for a walk um, getting run over on his own street. Holy
1: shit, boys, where's Nathaniel Veltman when you need him? Eh? Oh, well, there's a truck right there. Buddy, you missed him. Back up. Where's Nathaniel
2: Veltman? Holy shit, back up, buddy, back up. <laughs> and just for context, Nathaniel Veltman is the name of the 20 year old terrorist who was arrested for the hate crime in. London, Ontario. So
1: my second what the fork is really more of a WTF. Yesterday, Calgary-based TC Energy, formerly known as TransCanada, has finally say goodbye, farewell, adios to the Keystone XL crude oil pipeline. And this news comes after, I mean, let's just be honest, Canadian officials were unable to persuade the US President Biden to reverse uh, its permit uh, because of long-standing concerns that burning oil oil, sands, crude could make climate change worse. And this is something that Biden introduced very early on, when he took office, Trudeau was not super thrilled uh, on on Biden's climate change stance. Needless to say, this is all great because uh, Trudeau, our prime minister, is going to be hitting up England for the G7 summit uh, summit to meet with other leaders, where they'll be talking about COVID and all the economic stuff, but also climate change. So there was a Times article that I read yesterday, and the headline reads: "The G7 want to save the world from climate change. Are they willing to pay for it? I don't know, man." I in light of those news, it looks like Biden's very much on that track. But the question is, will Trudeau make the same action on his promises? Um, and the Keystone is a big deal because it's been a long standing fight. We wouldn't have gotten here without many people, indigenous peoples, climate movement, the youth um, who have been time and time again fighting, uh, making their voices heard and known and now we're here. It's it's a big deal. It's it's really a big deal. And I mean, the fact that, you know, TC Energy was like, they, after, you know, having so many governments be like, we need this, especially the Albertan government being like, we need this for the people. I don't know. This is pretty good news to me. So the TC Energy did say that they'll be working with the provincial government, uh, the Albertan government to, quote, ensure a safe termination of and exit from the partially built line. And For those of you who don't know, um, this pipeline was to transport crude from the oil and fields of Western Canada all the way to Nebraska, which is why Biden is a part of this conversation. We'll see what Trudeau does next, but this is really good. Anyway,
2: last but not least, Romneek, what is the third? What the fork? So the final WTF is about the RCMP. So the... Privacy Watchdog in Canada has found that the RCMP's use of a facial recognition software has broken the law. So Privacy Commissioner on Thursday, uh, Daniel Therian, published a report saying that there were uh, failings by the RCMP to comply with the Privacy Act. Uh, because they gathered information from a U.S. firm called Clearview AI. So for those of you who possibly have or haven't heard of Clearview AI, uh, there's been concerns, public concerns about Clearview AI's uh, software um, after a New York Times investigation found that the software had, ex- had extracted more than three billion photos from public websites like Facebook and Instagram, uh, and it then turned them into a database used by more than six. 600 law enforcement agencies in the U.S., Canada, and elsewhere. So that's normal. After those concerns came out, uh, the RCMP at first had denied using Clearview. So they said that after news broke that the company's client list had been hacked, the RCMP confirmed that it had been using the software. In a related investigation, um, it was discovered that Clearview AI's technology was resulting in mass surveillance of Canadians and violating federal and provincial laws uh, around personal information. The RCMP also violated the section of the Privacy Act that says no personal information can be collected by a government institution unless it directly relates to an operating program or activity of the institution. Pretty terrifying. When the information around Clearview AI was coming out last year, again, it People were horrified um, that this is even happening. It was found that the RCMP did not have the systems in place to control, identify, and assess this type of information. So there are recommendations placed by the privacy commissioner that the RCMP improve its policies and systems. But I think that's not the problem here. You know, like the problem, obviously, they need to improve their policies and systems. uh, But the problem is that they lied. Uh, The problem is that they are using a technology that is known to violate privacy. So just a lot of WTFs here. Uh, This is a story that we definitely need to follow because I'm scared. (laughs) What is happening? (laughs) What is happening? Thank you for listening
1: to today's episode of Decomplicated. We will see you on Monday. Okay. This episode was produced by Grace Jenkins and Brayla Kwan. Neek and I were just chilling. Thank you so much to Grace. Today is her last day at Decomplicated before she moves on to her next internship placement. Um, Grace has been helping out with pretty much everything. She's been wearing many, many hats. If you guys follow us on Twitter, which I hope you are at Decomplicated CA, make sure to give her a shout out and let her know that she has been a wonderful part of this journey. Decomplicated is a... A product of Overstory Media Group. Bye. I have nothing else to say.